The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Park Church. It's good to see you this morning. We are reading Ecclesiastes 1 verse 12 through chapter 2 verse 26. If you are here and you do not have a Bible, Park Church would love to gift you one. You can head to the back information table by the um, entrance doors and see a friendly face and grab a Bible there. And again, Ecclesiastes 1 12 through 2 26. I, the preacher, had been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold in the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool, so I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. 
This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bailey. Good morning. Good to see you all. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. I was thinking this week in preparation for this sermon, uh, throughout the whole kind of like time of preparing for this sermon, this movie was on my mind called The Big Short. Um, the Big Short uh, reflects on the housing market collapse in 2008. Some of you were just little kids uh, in 2008, and so you might not know what happened. I was just finishing grad school. My wife and I were moving from Chicago to Fort Collins. She was pregnant with our first child, and, uh, and we had no job, and we had no money, and the economy was wrecked. And so we moved here, and I kind of like still had that, like, I went to grad school. I'll get a job. And um, my degrees were in ancient languages and biblical exegesis. And so moved moved to Fort Collins, and... I was interviewing for places like a bank, and I would just keep my majors blank on my resume, and uh, just that I got degrees, you know, got a couple degrees, and they'd be like, what were your degrees in? I'm like, ancient languages and biblical exegesis, and they're like, I don't know what the second one means, but languages, like, what languages do you speak? I'm like, well, it's Greek and Hebrew. They're like, oh, you can speak Greek and, he- Greek and Hebrew? I'm like, not really. I can, in- I can translate and interpret ancient Greek and Hebrew documents. And, and so if somebody brings in documents in ancient Greek, I'm your guy. I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. It's inc- I'm going to be an incredible asset, you know, um, if that happens. And uh, anyway, uh, that was kind of like my experience. But for those who were kind of connected to the financial system, you know, the, the housing collapse was massive. It was a, a really significant economic catastrophe. And if you've watched the story of the big short, what the story is about is about three different parties that were able to discern through what they were, the patterns they were seeing and their kind of awareness of the system and how it worked, that this whole kind of financial system built around the housing market was, was had a flawed foundation. Like it had real cracks in the foundation and it was doomed for failure. And they understood that before anybody else understood that. And so they were, at some of them in times, trying to convince people that this whole system's broken and we need to fix the system. But what they decided to do is they decided to essentially short the mortgage market. So to take out a short position against, essentially against mortgages. And so what they were doing is betting against the housing market while the baseline assumption of all the major banks and investors was that this market was going to keep on growing. They understood that it was going to collapse inevitably. And so they bet against the market. A lot of people thought they were crazy, thought they were nuts to not 
kind of only, not only not join into it, but to bet against the whole system, but they were so confident that they understood something about the faulty nature of this system that other people weren't seeing. And so when the market collapsed in 2008, not only were they spared financial pain, but they made hundreds of millions of dollars for themselves and their investors. And a lot of people might, you might not all be kind of connected to the economics of how those things work, and it's super complicated. I can't even get my mind around it, even when I try hard. Um, But the idea of investing in that which you think will give you a reward is a human thing. As human beings, we invest our lives in something that we think will give us reward. That's not always financial reward. It's not always economic reward, but it's reward. And at the base of that reward, at at its center is truly happiness. Humans are are wired for it. Listen to this quote from Blaise Pascal, a famous quote from an old mathematician and philosopher. He said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it, is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, of every man, even of those who hang themselves. The pursuit of happiness. Every decision you make in life is a decision towards happiness, whether it's a decision to build financial status or financial wealth, whether it's a step towards building a happy family or a step towards kind of having a blast with your buddies and friends, kind of exploring all the things that Denver has to offer, whether it's kind of saving up to get your epic pass to ski in the weekends or saving up for that vacation, whether it's in Florida or Iceland or wherever you are trying to get to, we, we are all driving towards the sense of happiness with different views, different perspectives about what's, what's going to uh, ultimately give us that quest. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing is, is kind of making this argument throughout the whole book, but very specifically here in this section, that our quests for happiness or pleasure or satisfaction in this world under the sun are almost always built on a faulty foundation. It's like he saw what those parties saw before the housing market collapse. He saw that the things that we are all investing in, this baseline assumption that it seems like everybody in the world is kind of standing on and building their lives upon is a faulty foundation. And he's trying to kind of pull back the curtain and convince you to not invest your life in things that won't bring ultimate satisfaction. To not build your life and spend your energy and your emotions and sacrifice all of your efforts and your relationships in your attention, in your life itself, on the altar of the pursuit of pleasure under the sun, that that pursuit will ultimately fail. And so what he's doing is not merely, is not merely kind of poking holes in that foundation. He's actually poking holes in, it in order to bring us to a better hope, a better foundation. He'll begin to lay that foundation. This teacher of Ecclesiastes will begin to lay that foundation here at the end of chapter 2. And that, that journey and that path will be picked up by Jesus, and Jesus makes it a lot more clear of where we can actually build. And so what we want to do today is kind of a little bit of deconstruction and reconstruction. Deconstruction of the kinds of things we tend to build our life on, and then as we break that down to kind of build back up, so how should we live in that way? And so I want us to start in, First Corinth, or in um, Ecclesiastes. We'll start right there in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, uh, and kind of look at this introductory section, and then we'll dive into 
the teacher's pursuit of happiness. Verse 12 says this. It says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity. Remember that word is vapor. It's vapor. It's like chasing the wind. That's his baseline assumption. First thing he's kind of inviting us to do is to take an honest look at the path you're on. He, he's creating space in his life. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like search out. I'm going to examine. I'm going to kind of look at my life. And he's tried to chase different things. And what he's giving us now is kind of a, a look at that. So he's saying, slow down and take a look. He's kind of calling us to live an examined life. To take an honest look of the path you're on and where it's headed. And I want to encourage you for a moment to do that. To think about the path you're on. What are you living your life for? What's occupying your mind? What are you chasing? What are you pursuing? Sometimes it's really kind of like driven, intentional people that have a really clear plan about what they're pursuing in life and they're chasing it. Sometimes it's haphazard and it's just kind of like in the moment what feels good and what feels right and what kind of makes my heart happy here and now. Sometimes it's a mixed bag. Sometimes you've been chasing something for a while and you finally feel so disillusioned or exhausted, you just kind of feel numb. And what you're chasing right now is escapist tactics and just numbing and distraction because you don't want to feel what are you doing? What, what path are you on? What's that path? And just to think about where it's headed. That's what this author is going to do. He's going to kind of explore a couple paths. He's going to talk about where they're headed, where they're headed. And the first path he's going to explore is this path of wisdom. But before he does, he says this little poetic line in verse 15 that I think is at the heart of what really Ecclesiastes is arguing. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. We're saying at the kind of foundation of your experience in this life, there's a brokenness and there's something missing. There's something broken and there's something missing. And that's reality of life under the sun. As you live out your life here on this earth, you are living in a world where there's something broken and there's something missing. And as much as you try to fix that which is broken, you won't be able to fix it. It's a part of the result of human's sin, humanity's sin against God, that you live in a broken world. Something's broken. And part of that result is we're also separated from God. And so humans have this sense, we'll read about it in chapter 3, that God has put eternity into our hearts with this longing, this kind of desire for fulfillment, for happiness, for joy, for love, for acceptance, for stability, for rest, for all these things that humans just want. It's what we want. It's in our soul. Like Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in you. There's a, there's a restlessness within us that we are trying to fill. Something's missing. We can't even count how much. As much as we chase, as much as we pursue, as much as we accumulate, as much as we achieve, as much as we might experience, something is still missing. And, and what the author of Ecclesiastes, this teacher, is trying to get us to see is to kind of come to terms with that. You live in a world where there's something broken, and there's something missing. Again, back to the kind of big short idea. Like if you can get your mind around this and it will break down some stuff. It will certainly break down some stuff that you're standing on. But it gives you a path to build a better foundation. And so 
What I want to do is kind of look at what the author of Ecclesiastes does, these two paths in particular that he examines in this passage. He's going to, throughout the whole book, be examining different paths and pursuits and kind of perspectives and seeking them out and taking them to their end. But he's inviting us already to begin to take that step. And the first one is this path of wisdom. And what he sees in the path of wisdom is that the path of wisdom is marked by frustration and sorrow, which is surprising. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's going to commend wisdom as this worthy pursuit, this worthy pursuit, that to pursue wisdom is healthy and worthy and good. And the author of Ecclesiastes would not disagree, but he's going to be honest about that path of wisdom, that even a wise life is marked by frustration and sorrow. Look what he says, starting in verse 16. He says, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who are over me, uh, over Jerusalem before me. Uh, and for a second, that sounds like Solomon, and it's definitely in the Solomon tradition. If you're familiar with the biblical story, Solomon's presented as the greatest and wisest man who ever lived. Um, again, we talked about this last week, that this perspective seems to be after Israel's exile, a couple hundred years after Solomon's reign, reflecting on the whole experience of Israel's kings. And so the way that we'll talk about it is this sense of this kind of Solomon-like perspective, that as Solomon increased in wisdom and then his life tanked, other people would increase in wisdom. And it was this pattern for Israel's kings of wisdom and righteousness and chase these things and, and then fail and turn away and life and kingdom crumbles. And it's like this author's looking back on that pattern and looking at all the kings that have come before them. You'll see it right there in verse 16. All who were over Jerusalem before me. If it was Solomon saying that, if he's saying all the kings who were over Jerusalem before me, that would include only one king, which is his dad. It's just like a way of saying like, I'm way smarter than my dad without saying it uh, that explicitly. I don't want my kids to get any ideas. Um, so... It's true, though. So he says, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I want to I learn wisdom, but I also want to, like, try out the wise life, the well-examined life, the thoughtful life, the life well-lived. But I also just want to try out just chasing things and doing what my heart wants, no matter what that is. And I want to see kind of how these things weigh out. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. That phrase is going to show up again and again and again. It's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's trying to like catch the wind. The wind's blowing, and you're just running and trying to catch it. You know, it's like you just can't catch the wind. You can feel the wind, it's there. You just can't catch it, you can't harness it. You can just, the running after the wind is this vain, empty, hopeless pursuit. And he says this in verse 18 For in much wisdom is much vexation. Another word could be frustration. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Again, the author of Proverbs is going to commend wisdom as a thoughtful thing. And in fact, the, the teacher here in Ecclesiastes is going to say, living with wisdom is better than living without wisdom, as he weighs the two. He's tried both out. And he's going to say, living with wisdom is better. But just a thoughtful life, like having a, a kind of healthy, whether a family or a healthy single life and a healthy career and having healthy savings and healthy retirement and having emotional health and having kindness and kind of caring about your neighbors and, and doing all these things, like that's, that's wonderful. But what you'll also learn is that the more you see about life and the more you pay attention, the more you will see that life is full of something that's broken and something that's missing, that even these things don't satisfy fundamentally. And the, and the kind of curtain's going to be pulled back on that when he, when he examines where that's all headed. 
that that wise person in the end also dies. And even the things they've gained or accumulated or the things, the wisdom that they've had is now gone. And so he looks at the end of that path and says, as you increase in wisdom, you also increase in frustration. It's frustrating and it's sad. When you start paying attention to life and the life that we all tend to live and the life we maybe ought to live and you have this sense of like there's a healthy life, what you'll find is even in your own heart, like successfully living this ideal life you've created for yourself is exhausting. It's exhausting. When you kind of construct an ideal, this is the wise life, this is the healthy life, and you kind of organize all your life trying to pursue that, it's frustrating because the world is full of thorns and thistles. It's difficult. Your own heart is frail and fickle. It's, it's tiring. And so you get a lot of people that have this kind of like ideal sense of the life they want to live. And you kind of begin with discipline, like chasing it. And after a while, it's still not satisfying. And then you're getting a little bit disillusioned, but you're still going. And maybe it seems like other people are achieving. And it's just hard. And what you're feeling is more and more frustration. And then sorrow that the life you really long for, it's still not there. Or maybe you've acquired that life and you have the financial health and the relationships and the church and the small group and the family and the house and the car and the 2.5 kids. You've got all the things you've got them and you still don't feel like whole you still don't feel satisfied it's frustrating and it leads to incredible sorrow so he talks about that again he's not going to say it's worthless he's just going to say it's still chasing after the wind if you're searching for satisfaction it's insufficient you'll still find that the world is broken and there's something missing you'll still find that and then he says this and he says this, starting in, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1. He shifts his path from wisdom to the path of pleasure. He says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. This also was vapor. Second thing we see is that the pursuit of pleasure is marked by disappointment and emptiness. Disappointment and emptiness. Last week, we kind of did this whole walk across the stage thing where I talked about you're born over here, right? And that other door is the door of death. And you're kind of like living life. And in this life, like you can decide, and at some point in your life, you can decide to kind of chase uh, the wisdom and the thoughtfulness. But for most of us, there's some point in life when you're just kind of like chasing what your heart wants and what it sees. And what he's saying is, uh, as you're on this life, he took time to chase wisdom for a while. And then he took time just to kind of like check out what's available. It's like, try stuff out. What makes my heart happy? What gives me pleasure? And just spent some years of his life chasing the kinds of things that, that people chase. And he kind of itemizes it here in the passage. He says, I said of laughter, just like laughing. It's mad. Like we're all laughing and everybody's laughing and, every, and he just kind of like takes a step back and like, what, what's funny? Like in some sense, life is funny. Like if you can't laugh, like something's wrong. Like life is funny. We're given laughter. It's a gift. What he's saying is not kind of that laughter is inherently wrong, but a life that's just pursuing kind of like frivolities and kind of like mindless, numbing entertainment that's just kind of like laughing at entertainment all the time. He steps back and just sees the silliness and the emptiness of the whole thing. Says of pleasure, what use is it? You get that kind of dopamine drive to get that hit of pleasure. You get that hit of pleasure, it teaches your brain, like, drive after that again, and you keep getting that drive, and you keep getting that drive. But what happens when you keep kind of tapping into that pleasure? That, that circuit, that whole reward circuit, just like, just feeds and feeds and feeds. It never, it's never satisfied. 
The reward circuit just makes you want more and more and more. You could look about this with finances. You could look up at it with sex. You could look at it with, uh, with possessions. You could look at it with friendship. You could look at it with entertainment. You could look at it with narcotics, with alcohol, with drugs, with pornography. The more you chase and pursue, the more you kind of like chase this thing, it doesn't lead to deeper satisfaction. It just leads to like an insatiable longing for more pleasure. And you live your life in that kind of space of just chasing, chasing, chasing. You're on this treadmill, this rat race. And he says, what's the point of pleasure? What's the point of it? What use is it? It doesn't satisfy. It just gives a hit. And then you just want it more. So he says, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. So I was doing that. And then I just thought, well, that doesn't work. So let's just drink. Because that'll make life better. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on to folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he's saying, I'm chasing these things, I'm pursuing these things, and now he just begins to kind of work it out. He says, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. Like, I built a career. I I did meaningful things. I established a life. I, I, like, contributed to the common good of society. I I built my own house. I got a bigger house once I got a little bit older and our family grew. And then I made that. And then then I remodeled that section. And then I finished my backyard. And then I got this. And then I upgraded this. And I, I did that. I did that whole thing. I, I did that. He's like, I did that. You guys doing that? Spending time thinking about that? He did it. He says, I did that. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. A quick note. This isn't commending. I think this is probably obvious to most, most of you. This is not commending slavery. This is the way the world was then, and it is evil then, it is evil now. It's what he did, and it's what people did to pursue power and prestige. Evil. He's itemizing it, and one of the things he did, he was a king over a country, and he bought and built his life and his kingdom on the backs of slaves, which is obviously sinful and oppressive. He's not commending it. He's saying it's what he did, and it did not satisfy. So what he did, and it did not satisfy. He says, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had gone before me in Jerusalem. And I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of men. He's saying, I chased possessions. I chased wealth and money. I chased entertainment. I chased sex. I chased all of it. I ran after all of it. And it left me still empty. He chased these things, and it did not satisfy. And we do the same thing. We, tra- we chase drink and substances. Try out the new cocktail, little weed here, it's legal. Maybe some psychedelics, that'll maybe make it feel better. Maybe if I kind of chase a little bit harder stuff, I can do that. Or I can just take a drink every night and just drink a little more every night, and that'll make life good. Or if I find the next kind of like cocktail in Denver, Death & Co's probably got a new one that'll cost you like 14 bucks, but you could try it. Like, it's probably going to taste good. Is it going to satisfy your soul? No. No. You can chase it, and you just chase and chase and chase food, drink, substance. If you think it's going to satisfy your soul, it's not. It's going to make you want more and more and more. 
building the home, upgrading the lifestyle again and again and again. So many of us in Denver think like that's it. It occupies so many of our minds. The next thing we need to do in our house, the next house we need to get, the next kind of property, or if I can move to a better apartment, I gotta make more money, I'll have to work a little bit more, get a promotion in my job, and we start building. And we think like once I get it, once I get a little more space, a little nicer space, a little better neighborhood, whatever it is, then it'll be enough. And we just start, just run, we're chasing. I mean, we're chasing. Park Church, we're chasing. We're chasing things. We're chasing things. To what end? We do it like that. We do it with power and possessions. We do it with wealth, trying to increase your net worth, trying to save for retirement, improve your investments. We do it with entertainment, whether it's the CU game last night, which is like super fun, wonderful. That game's over. The next week, okay, what's going to happen? And the season's going to end. Like, what, what's, what's the end of this? Is it saying it's like e- all these things are evil? Some of these things are evil. Many of them are not evil. But just what's, where's it going? Where's it going? We chase these things. We chase these things and they don't lead anywhere helpful. And so here's what he says in verse 9. So I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did, and I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, the effort and the energy and the stress and the drive and the sleepless nights and the hard work. I thought about all of it, and behold, it was vapor, all of it. It was striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. So now he just takes an assessment, verse 12. He says, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. I just said, all right, I've run down the wisdom path. I've run down the chase the pleasure path. Let's think about it for a second. Let's just take an honest look at what's going on. He says, for what can man do who comes after the king? In other words, if he had all these resources to basically do whatever he wanted, to chase whatever he wanted, He's kind of presenting himself as like, hey, I chased everything I wanted. Not everybody has the resources to chase everything you want. I did, so just can you take my word for it that I've, that I've given this a go? Only what has been done, already done. He says, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive the same event happens to all of them. So then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool also happened to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? Like, what's the point if we're all going to die? I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise, for of the wise, as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance. Remember, this generation will come, this generation go 200 years from now. We'll all be forgotten. It was like the main point last week. Take a deep breath. We're not that important. We're not that important. So if we're all going to die and be off the scene, whether wisdom or folly, is it really on the large scale that different when you think about the kind of impact of our life? You're like, this is the most depressing sermon I've ever heard. Twelve weeks. Uh, <laughs> buckle up. And I, I, I mean this with, with love. We need this. We need this. Desperately. So he says this, the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool also happened to me also. Why have I been so very wise? This is also vanity. This is also vanity. All will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. 
So he looks at it. He's just honest. And it leads him to a really dark spot. Hates life. It's, it's overwhelming. And that might be where you think we're ending, and it's not. It's not. But it is important to say, when you live your life on this kind of foundation, that, that 2008 market, that pursuit of happiness will collapse. And the author of Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, the teacher, is telling us, don't build your life on that. That will collapse. It will leave you high and dry. And you have innumerable people who have reflected on this before us. I've shared before, but I think about this thing from Jim Carrey uh, in this uh, Golden Globes kind of, uh, he was presenting an award and they introduced him as two-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey. And he says this, he says, in front of all these kind of actors and actresses and producers and directors, says this, thank you, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep, I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream, no sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. You feel the air just kind of like come out of the room when people are like, I hope he calls my name, you know? Uh, And then he says, but these are important. These are, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. Um, Just pokes holes in it. Or the interview with Tom Brady, where he talks about even after five years into his career, he's got Super Super Bowl MVPs and he has this, Uh, interview with um, Dave Croft, and he says, there are times when I'm not the person I want to be. Like, why do I have three Super Bowl rings, and I still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And Croft answers, he says, what's the answer? He says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Or Mick Jagger from the Rolling Stones says, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. And he just talks about the things he did to try. Or even Bono, you too, right? I've climbed the highest mountain, sailed across the sea, right? Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like this is everywhere. It's here in Ecclesiastes. It's in your songs. It's in the music. It's in society. The people that achieve the things we're chasing are saying it's not, it's not there. It's not there. So what is it for us? What are we chasing? What are you running after? What are you running after? To embrace the fact that these things lead to an emptiness and disappointment is the foundation of building a better way. And that's what the author takes us into in the very end, and he begins to to kind of unpack a theme that will make its way throughout the whole book. Look at verse 24. He says this. Well, verse 23, he says, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Like every day, you just feel that disappointment, that stress, that frustration. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. At night, you feel stressed or depressed or alone or empty. This also is vanity. So there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or drink or, have it, or who can have enjoyment? He points to a better way. This is what C.S. Lewis talks about as the Christian way. C.S. Lewis in his chapter on hope and mere Christianity says the fool's way is the way of chasing, 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 chasing. At some point in life, you realize that chasing is foolish. 
and that it doesn't ultimately satisfy. And so Lewis talks about this kind of way of the sensible man, the disillusioned man, that I'm not going to be foolish and chase and chase and chase. I'm going to step back and live a life of wisdom and, and sobriety and thoughtfulness. And he's like, sure, that's probably better than the foolish way. But it still kind of doesn't do anything with that core desire in the human heart. And so here's what Lewis says is the Christian way. He says the Christian way is to say, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger where there's a such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim where there's a such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire where there's a such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What Lewis is saying is if you cannot find anything under the sun, that can satisfy, perhaps satisfaction is not found under the sun. Perhaps it's found outside of that. And then in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says this about desire, just the goodness of desire. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're like half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot, ima- cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The Christian way is not to say that there is no kind of path to satisfaction. It's just to say that satisfaction is not found in the things you can accumulate and achieve and experience under the sun. That you are made for another world. You're made to find life with God and to enjoy him. And God in Christ has given us that ability even here and now to taste it. Through the giving of his spirit as you turn to Jesus who laid down his life as an expression of God's love while we're fumbling and fiddling away under the sun, trying to build a life and building up these sandcastles, the waters come and break them down again. Every time we try to build it back up, the waters come and break it down again. There's something broken and there's something missing. And by paying attention to the, the end of those paths, it teaches us that might there be a God who sees us in that place who's pursued us in that brokenness to reconcile us to himself. Again, that Augustine line, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in you. That there is a peace, there is a joy, there is a stability, there is a hope, not just in this life, but also in the life to come when you turn to Jesus, embrace what we've done to reject the reign of God over us, receive his atoning love and his forgiveness and find life in him and get the spirit of God. You begin to understand the presence of God and the nearness of God and it gives us the hope of the life to come where all those desires find their true and ultimate fulfillment. The desire for love, the desire for stability, the desire for pleasure, the desire for hope, the desire for joy, the desire for experience, the desire for friendship and affection, it's all found in Christ and his kingdom. And we get to begin to taste that now. And what the author of Ecclesiastes is doing is breaking down that faulty path and begins to build. Here's three takeaways that I think can just help us as we walk away from this space. Number one, it's right here in the text in verse 24. Enjoy the simple things as gifts from God. Enjoy the simple things as gifts from God. He says there's nothing better for a person to do than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Again, to, to learn how to like, taste the simple things as a gift. The problem isn't that, that we can enjoy the simple things. It's that we try to squeeze ultimate satisfaction out of them. Family is a gift. Friendship is a gift. Your job is a gift. That meal is a gift. That drink is a gift. That relationship is a gift. Intimacy, relational or sexual, is a gift. These things are gifts. 
when we try to squeeze everything out of them and, f- and find ultimate satisfaction, then we're making the created things under the sun into God things. And it will disappoint you every time. If instead you can receive them as a gift from God and release them as they go away and they come and they go and you learn how to receive and give thanks but not to hold them too tightly, you can find incredible joy in this world. The world is full of beauty and goodness. It's not all hopelessness. It's just when we put our ultimate hope in temporal things that we find disappointment. Number two, embrace the toil as a vital reminder of our ultimate hope. That even the struggle, it says it in verse 24, to find enjoyment in his toil. And the, word, the phrase there in the, in the Hebrew text is to consider the toil good for your soul. Consider the struggle good for your soul. When life gets beat down and broke down, maybe, as painful as it is, you can be honest about the pain, but maybe it's reminding us not to put ultimate hope in created things. Maybe your job not going the ways you want. Maybe your health not going the way you want. Maybe every relationship not going the way you want. Maybe your income not being what you want. Maybe your marriage not being perfect, your family not being perfect. Maybe, maybe it's a reminder that there's something broken, there's something missing. And maybe it would help us to not build our life on that which is shakable and to turn to Jesus who gives a firm foundation of true and lasting joy. And that's the last takeaway is that we learn to trust in the presence of Jesus in the hope of the resurrection. This is what we're going to build our life on, that God is with us here and we get this foretaste of his goodness and his love. We get to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. But even when life crumbles, even in the face of death and grievous pain, it teaches us to put our hope that Christ will come again and make all things new. It's where the world is headed. and We are made for that world. If we can hope in that world and trust in the presence of Jesus, you'll find a kind of freedom to actually enjoy life to find love and joy and peace. It truly is available through the Spirit. Let's pray that God would help us to walk in that. And so Jesus, would you help us even now? Would you set us free from building our life on the things that are shakable, the things that lead to disappointment and disillusionment and frustration? Would you teach us to put our hope in you and in you alone even as we celebrate communion, would you remind us that your steadfast love is better than life. It's better than life. That in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That you're not a God wanting us to be depressed and disillusioned, but to build our life on the true source of joy, the true source of pleasure, the true source of satisfaction to build our life on Christ and his kingdom. Would you help us to do it? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, What I wanna do is actually invite y'all to stand and we're gonna say a corporate prayer together that we'll say throughout Ecclesiastes to pray our hearts for communion. Would you read this with me? Father in heaven, free us from our exhausting efforts to seek satisfaction under the sun. Help us to trust in your presence and walk in your ways, even when we are disoriented by the pains and perplexities of life. Increase our passion to live for Jesus, who alone offers lasting joy and unshakable hope. And let our joy and hope in Christ 
shine like light in the darkness such that others will be drawn to your saving love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So for those in Christ, come and eat and drink and remember God's love for you. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.